Welcome to Sealing God's People with your host, Dennis Beard. The subject today is this mountain. It's strategical for us to know this mountain and eschatology, the last day, prophetic word of God. What is this mountain? It's a transfiguration. Matthew 17, right after Christ has been revealed to Peter. In Matthew 16, who do men say that I the Son of Man am? And he's going into the revelation of Christ. Christ is not the last name of Jesus. It's the Spirit of God, the Spirit that he is. That's the Christ. Christ is the Spirit of God revealed. And Christ has always been that Spirit, but Christ is also the man that revealed that Spirit. You see that in 1 Peter 1, verse 10 and 11. The Old Testament prophets searched diligently into the grace that should come unto us, searching what, what manner of time the Spirit of Christ that was in them. That's the invisible Spirit of God, the omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent Spirit of God that is invisible. When it signified beforehand and testified of the sufferings of Christ. Now, that's the Christ that will suffer. That's the man who is that spirit revealed or manifest in a body of flesh and blood. Not a second person of the Godhead. The Christ, which is that spirit, is Christ, which is the man revealing that spirit. One and the same spirit. Not a different spirit, not a different person. And that's what God is restoring. Faith that was once delivered to the saints where we have departed from it. In eschatology, in these eschatology, uh, these councils that was given back in 325 A.D., 451 A.D., and the Council of Nicaea, or the Council of Chalcedon, and either one, they all said there was a trinity, especially the Chalcedonian uh, definition in the ecumenical council of this synod stated that according to Christ, in this revelation of Christ, that spirit, that the Son of God, this is a quote, the Son of God, according to his Godhead, was begotten of the Father before the foundation of the world, unquote. Now, that is ridiculous. There's no spirit, senior, that begot spirit, junior, in heaven. And that is the revelation of Jesus Christ, that God is using judgment now to reveal that there's only one. There's not a trinity, not a two-ness or a binary, or a oneness where the man's not God but has God in him, and that most of the Protestant religions follow the God-man of the Chalcedonian definition of 451 A.D. And these ecumenical councils, simply because there was a synod with all these presbyters and uh, different cardinals that came there that it was declared to be the truth. And any man that said anything otherwise than what was stated in those councils, that they were deemed to be a heretic and to be burned at the stake. Not the leading of the Holy Ghost, but a leading of man. And unfortunately, the Protestant religions, by and large, has followed that teaching since 325 A.D., 451 A.D., those Chalcedonian definitions 
of the God man still prevalent in the church today, which is a lie. Now, God is using judgment to get us to return to him, the true God and eternal life. That he is that omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent spirit. We see in the revelation of Jesus Christ that God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass and signified it by his angel unto John. What is that? Basically, the foundation that he is Christ, and Christ is not the last name of the surname of Jesus. It is the Spirit of God. Christ is that Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. He is that Spirit. There we see in Revelation 1, he's Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, which is, was, and is to come, the Almighty God. There's not an Almighty God, Jr., the Almighty God. In this last day work, we find that it's after six days that Jesus will go up into a mountain apart, and that's what we're talking about today in this podcast. To those that have an ear to hear, this mountain, this mountain apart, this kingdom apart, it's going higher in glory than Pentecost. Now, we see after six days, let's take the prophetic indication of that, that six days and a day with the Lord is as a thousand years. That should be 6,000 years, 4,000 years from Adam to the cross, from the creation of man to the cross of 4,000 years or four days. Then we would come to another two days or 2,000 years since the cross, And now we're in that seventh day. Or if we were to take that timeline and say, how long has it been? How many days has it been since the cross? Well, the cross was 2,000 years ago, or two days. And now we're in the third day. And we see in the third day that the prophetic implication is that He will raise us up and we will live in God's sight. That's coming unto charity, to the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ, and to a perfect man. And Jesus tells us what's happening after this sixth day. Matthew 17, he says, and after six days, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart. This is going to be higher than any Pentecostal mountain in that kingdom. It's a mountain apart, but it's after six days. Now, the Pentecost, uh, we were given that some 2,000 years ago. So we could say that after four days, or after 4,000 years, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus will take place. And then when the day of Pentecost is fully come, is right after that fourth day, We see it in Acts, the second chapter. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, not a day early, not a day late, but right according to God's calendar, they were in one mind, one accord, and suddenly there appeared cloven tongues of fire. And there was that suddenly that the Holy Ghost was given. Cloven tongues of fire appeared and set on each one of them. And that's a great move of God. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance, Acts 2, 4. And the Holy Ghost is still, according to Mark 16, go and preach the world, this gospel, to all uh, the creatures and all the world. 
preach this gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ to all the world. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. They will speak with other tongues. It's still in the Bible today in Mark 16. And if we see it all the way through in the book of Acts, and speaking in that Holy Ghost in tongues, Paul gives us that meaning in the Corinth church, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. He said, He that speaketh an unknown tongue speaketh mysteries unto God, but his understanding is unfruitful. And he said, I speak with tongues more than you all, yet I'll pray with my understanding. And in the Spirit forbid not to speak in tongues. Why speak in tongues? Because Jude 20, build it up yourselves upon your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Somebody said, we just pray in our native tongue. We speak in the English tongue. Well, that's fine. But no man knows how he ought to pray. Romans 8, 26 on. No one knows how he ought to pray. No man does. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession. How? Belling up yourselves upon your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. So the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us. According to the will of God, with groanings which cannot be uttered. So therefore, it's imperative that we have the Holy Ghost, Christ in us, and we have this prayer language that in the Spirit we speak its mysteries unto God according to the will of God. And it builds up each believer's there in their spirit upon their most holy faith. How? By praying in the Holy Ghost. Now, we know that this happened after the fourth day or 2,000 years ago. Now, where are we now? Well, since the cross, we're in the third day. Or since creation, we're in that seventh day. And it says, after six days. So on this mountain of transfiguration, on this mountain of heart, that Peter, James, and John, not all 12, but only Peter, James, and John will be taken up into this mountain. And there we will see that Jesus will be transfigured before them. Peter says in his epistle, we saw his majesty. In other words, through the man Christ Jesus, who he is, his intrinsic value, the essence of God himself, he is that spirit broke through the flesh of Jesus and his uh, face shone as it were the sun. He is the son of righteousness that will arise with healing in his wings. His garments were glistening all the way down to his feet. We see the same uh, Jesus, this glorified uh, Jesus Christ, the son of man in Revelation 1. Hair like wool, eyes like fire. A garment all the way white, raiment all the way down to his foot with a golden paps around his chest. And that is around the paps. We see that that is a golden girdle. It's the love of God in all of his glory that is bound upon the raiment, which is one with the saints of the living God. And his feet shine as burnished brass. That's judgment. And judgment will be given to the saints of the Most High God, as Paul stated in 1 Corinthians 6, that what know you not, you will judge angels. Well, this will be happening, but before that, there's a work. We'll all be changed in a moment and twinkling an eye at the last trump, 
And that's not the seventh trump, that's the last trump, when the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of, of the archangel and the trump of God. That trump of God is the last trump when we will all be changed. It's not the seventh trump. For the seventh trump, there is when the mystery of God is finished. But at that last trump is when we're changed in a moment in a twinkle of an eye at the last trump. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. The eye is the eye of revelation that every eye shall see the Lord Jesus come in his glory. Every tribe apart, and they will mourn as one mourneth for his only son. This mountain apart, Jesus said, is not after the seventh day. It's after the sixth day coming into the seventh day. Since the cross, it's not the second day, but after the second day going into the third day. Now, why is that important? Well, because that Jesus is going to be transfigured in his body. And we are now the body of the Christ. That's what he wrought to usward in Ephesians 1 when he set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Not for Jesus, but for us. And that is that we, the body of Christ, are made to sit together in heavenly places now. We can enter within the veil with all boldness before the Lord God Almighty. We don't have to go see a prophet to get a word from God. We can enter that holiest of all with all boldness. And uh, God in sundry times and diverse manners spake unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he hath appointed to be heir of all things and all truth and all faith. It's given us to know all truth. And we have received... Uh, all things of God in the Holy Ghost with this bodily body fitly framed together and then compacted, sealed to the glory of God. What is happening here? This is a prophetic tone. After the second day, he will revive us. In the third day, he will raise us up. Hosea 6, 1 through 4. Come and let us return to the Lord. For he hath torn, he will heal us. He has smitten, not the devil, God has smitten. Why? Because there's a chastening rod. We've left our first love. We have hewn out sepulchers that can hold no water. We have gone into a trinity religion. This is not the one God that the apostles preached. It's not the Jesus that he declared himself to be. In John 10, 30, Jesus said, I and my father are one. We're the same. That is a Greek word, heis. We're the same spirit. In John 8, 24, when they asked Jesus, where is your father? Jesus stated, except you believe that I am he, you shall die in your sins. John 8, 24. There is no other God but Jesus Christ, as he stated there in John 14. He states, let not your heart be troubled there, but you believe in God, believe also in me. And he goes on and explains to my father's house how many mansions. When I sold, what I told you, I go to prepare a place for you. Where I am, there you may be also. Whether I go, you know, and the way you know, that's righteousness. He's going to the father, came from God, going back to God, not beside him, not around him, but to him. He proceeded from the father, going back to the father. Then he says there's a profound statement. He said that he is the way, the truth, and life. 
And then he states that from henceforth you both know me and have seen me. Now, Thomas, do you notice that Thomas said, we know not whether thou goest, and how can we know you know the way, Jesus? He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Notice that he says, from henceforth, you both know me and have seen him, me, which Jesus is the Father revealed. Now, Philip is confused. Philip says, now, Lord, show us the Father. And that suffices us. That'll be sufficient. Jesus said, have I been so long time with you? And yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that has seen me hath seen the Father. How sayest thou then, show us the Father? Believe me that I'm in my Father, my Father in me, or else believe me for the work's sake. Why? Because Jesus is not in the flesh doing these works. It's the Spirit that he is, the Father of glory that's doing the works. He goes on and states that. The words that I speak are not mine, but the Father that dwelleth in me, houses permanently in me, he's the one doing the works. If I were the finger of God cast out devils, Jesus stated, Know ye, the kingdom of God's come nigh unto you. He healed the sick, cleansed the leper, raised the dead, cast out devils, opened blind eyes, loose the dumb tongue. The lame walked and the captive went free. Blessed is he whomsoever is not offended in me, Jesus stated. That is the works that he did, showing that he is the Father. And then to prove that he is and in the Father and the Father in him, he said, when the Son of Man is lifted up, then you will know that I'm in my Father, my Father in me. John 2, 19, Jesus stated, destroy this temple in three days, I will raise it up. That is, he is the Father. He'd have to be the Father to raise up his own body of flesh. The Jews were astounded. They said, 46 years were they in building this temple, and you're going to raise it up in three days. Jesus spake of the temple of his body. And we see in Romans 1, verse 3 and 4, that Jesus is declared to be the Son of God through the Spirit by the resurrection from the dead. Well, no man can raise up his own body except he be God, and he's declared to be the Son of God with, uh, without a shadow of a doubt because he raised his own body from the dead just as he stated uh, there in the days of his flesh, he said, no man taketh my life from me. There he said, I am a free will offering. I have power to lay it down. I have power to receive it again. This I've received of my father. Well, he has uh, shown that he is the father because he raised his own body from the grave, from the tomb, and declared that all power in heaven and earth is given to him. Matthew 20, 18, that he is the Lord Jehovah God Almighty, Acts 2, 36, that all the house of Israel know surely that same Jesus whom you crucified. God hath made him both Lord, Jehovah God Almighty, and Christ, the Spirit of God, the Holy Ghost, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's a mystery of godliness. He is a blessed and only potentate, the omnipotent God, 1 Timothy 6, 15 and 16, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no other man can approach unto, nor see, nor can see. He is the Almighty God, Revelation 1, 8. There is none other. But on this mountain, before Jesus' second advent, he's letting us see that after six days, this would be 
the same as the third day from the cross or the sixth day after the sixth day from creation of Adam. And he states there, why is God doing this? Well, he's revealing himself, who he is, that he is that spirit, that he is the father of glory, he is the word, he is the Holy Ghost. And he's going to take the inner three, Peter, James, and John, to reveal this great truth to them that he is the majesty, that he is the mighty God, that he is the everlasting father. And as he does, as they come up there, Peter, James, and John, not all 12, but only three. Three is significant because Three is the number of resurrections, not the number of the Trinity. It's the number of resurrection. In the third day, I'll raise you up. You'll live in my sight. Hosea 6 states that God is using a chastening rod on the believers today to get us to turn to the real Jesus, the real Lord. Come and let us return to the Lord. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, the invisible, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent spirit of God, the true God in eternal life. Come and let us return to the Lord. Why? Well, because we have strayed away. And what does he do? Does he let us be condemned with the world? No. He uses his chastening rod and his staff to correct us so that we will not be condemned with the world. He uses judgment. All God's ways are perfect. All God's ways are judgment. So he states there in Hosea 6, Come and let us return to the Lord. John says that the same in the revelation as he closes, said, even so come, Lord Jesus. Come and let us return to the Lord, for he hath torn, not the devil, not any angels, but God himself, he hath torn us, and he will heal us. He hath smitten, and he will bind us up. God himself is doing that to get us to return to him, and evil men and seducers will wax worse and worse. But God is sifting us through the nations. states that in Amos 9, verse 9. God has commanded to sift all the house of Israel through the nations. That's God's sifter. And not the least grain will fall to the ground, but I'll just destroy all the sinners of my people by the sword, which say no evil shall prevent nor overtake us that there will be no birth pains, there will be no tribulation or persecution that worketh patience, patience that worketh experience, and experience that worketh hope. And hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in the heart by the Holy Ghost. Well, they say, no, God's not going to do this. Well, God says that, that's why I have to destroy you because of my holiness, because you say no evil shall prevent nor overtake us. You sit there in a false religion, a false ideology, a false uh, uh, salvation, thinking we're saved and we're not because uh, she says, as Mystery Babylon, the great the mother of harlots and abomination of the earth, said, I said a queen, the queen of heaven, and I am no widow. She says she's married to Jesus, and I will see no sorrow, no birth pain. They don't understand the work of the ministry, the whole work that God will perform upon Mount Zion, and after that, we have been suffered for a while. God established, strengthened, settle you, make you perfect unto perfection. The captive of our salvation made perfect through sufferings. It will be the same for the body of Christ. 
that Jesus learned obedience through the things which he suffered in 1 Peter 4, 1. For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, be ye therefore likewise minded, for he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. We have to be made comparable to Christ's sufferings. If you suffer with him, you'll reign with him. And then our faith will grow exceedingly, and the charity of every one of us will, of us will abound one toward, toward another in all of our persecution and tribulation that we endure, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God that we might be accounted worthy of the kingdom of God for which we also suffer. Now, we're not only called to believe on Jesus, but also to suffer with him. But there is also a glory that will be revealed. And Jesus will be glorified, transformed, transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration. And the apostles, uh, Peter, James, and John, will see it as eyewitnesses of his majesty, as declared by Peter in his epistle. And when we see that Jesus uh, there appeared on that Mount of Transfiguration, a mountain apart, after the sixth day, which is uh, that coming into the seventh day or seventh thousand year, which we are in now. It doesn't speak of Pentecost. That would be after the fourth day. That would be the time that Jesus went to the cross, and shortly after, after the death, burial, and resurrection, then we receive the Holy Ghost and the day of Pentecost, Acts the second chapter. But this is after six days. This, in other words, after six days of creation of Adam, now we're coming to what? After the second day, in the third day, we are now up on this Mount of Transfiguration. And we have three of the disciples, not all twelve, but only three, letting us see there will be one-fourth of those that will see this great revelation of Jesus, that will be the remnant of her seed, not the whole church, but the remnant of it, that will go on and follow Jesus. We see that in Hosea 6, and it says, Come and let us return to the Lord, for he's torn, he'll heal us, he has smitten, he will bind us up. After the second day, he will revive us. We're not talking revival now. We're in the third day, and in the third day, there's something new that he's going to do. He will raise us up, and we will live in his sight. Well, what's happening? If we follow him to know the Lord, his going forth is prepared as the morning, and he will come to us. He will come to us as the rain, the former and the latter rain, not the second advent. Before that second advent, there is a rain of the Holy Ghost. Not the former rain, as in the book of Acts, after the fourth day. But this is after the sixth day. Jesus take with him, Peter, James, and John, up into a mountain, a high mountain apart. Not just a mountain, a high mountain. The height of the kingdom of God. And therefore, he's transfigured before him. And they see not only Jesus, but Moses and Elijah. Moses speaking of the law. And Elijah speaking of the prophets, yes. But it's also the works that they did. You see that we see that whenever he spake, that the bright cloud overshadowed them. Peter had just spoken and said, Lord, it's good for us, Peter, James, and John, to be here. Let us build three tabernacles, three booths, three sukkahs, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. But he wist not what he said. He didn't understand why he said that. 
Then, right after that, it says uh, that as he yet spake those words, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. That's a Shekinah glory of God and his glory. And behold, a voice out of that cloud, which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. We're not hearing Moses anymore. We're hearing Jesus. All the prophets would say, Thus saith the Lord. But Jesus would say, Because he is God, he is the Father of glory, but I say unto you, and goes on and says, and when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. What happens? And Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, be not afraid. Now, when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man. No man. They didn't see Moses. They didn't see Elijah. They saw Jesus, save Jesus only. Why? Now we find uh, that whenever they came down from that mountain, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Why do the disciples of John say that Elias or Elijah must first come? Why? He's just had this great experience with Moses and Elijah upon that mountain apart, that high mountain. He's transfigured before them. They saw his majesty, that the God Almighty, the Father of glory, shone through. The face of Jesus shone as it were the sun. His garments were glistening. They saw and behold that great glory of God manifest through Jesus and his real identity, who he is. And then the disciples coming down off that mountain, the disciples asked Jesus, why do the disciples of John say that Elijah must first come? Jesus states Elijah truly must first come and restore all things. Why? Because Acts 3, 20 and 21 states that the heavens must receive Jesus until the times of the restitution or restoration of all things. In other words, he's not coming back in the second advent until all things are restored in all truth and all faith to the body of Christ because he's coming back for a glorious church without spot or blemish, perfect in all her ways, the bride that had made herself ready. And Jesus states that, and Peter, in that book of Acts, states that the heavens must receive Jesus until the times of the restitution or the restoration of all things, all things of faith, because faith is the substance of things, hope for the evidence of things not seen. That's the revelation of Jesus Christ that God gave unto him, just showing to his servants things which must shortly come to pass and signified it, sealed it by his angel unto John. Now, what's happening here, and what does it have to do with us? Well, when we have this revelation of what Jesus has revealed to us after the sixth day, going into the seventh day, or from the cross, after the second day, going into the third day, that we see the same in that last day move of God. If we follow him to know the Lord, his going forth is prepared as the morning. And he will come to us as the rain, the former and the latter rain. We've already had the former rain in Acts of second chapter, but we're to in Zechariah 10, when I ask you for the Lord rain, the time of the latter rain, the Lord will make bright clouds and four showers, every one grass in the field. Now we have to enter into that last great rain of his strength, uh, standing in the power of his might uh, 
and reveal Jesus to the world and through the body of Christ. Notice that in Matthew 17 about this mountain. This mountain's the glory. This mountain's the kingdom, and this mountain is the kingdom, a reference to the kingdom of God, which is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. The kingdom of God doesn't come with observation where they say low here, low there, but it's within you. But he goes on down, and we'll see that, that Jesus, when he talks about that Elijah must truly come first and restore all things and a restoration, all things in truth, we have to grow up into Jesus in all things, so that we're not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Then they came, and there was a man that brought forth Jesus to Jesus, a man that was a lunatic, lunar tick, or struck, or moonstruck, and he often threw himself in the water and in the flames of fire. And he brought his son to the disciples to heal them, and they couldn't do it. And notice that Jesus answered and said, O faithless, perverse generation. Notice that generation. He says, How long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. And Jesus rebuked the devil and departed out of him. And the child was cured from that very hour. Then came the disciples of Jesus apart and said, Why could not we cast him out? Very important. He's just came down off this mountain, a mountain apart, the high mountain. He is transfigured before Peter, James, and John. And it's this mountain, focusing on this mountain. And Jesus said unto them, because of your unbelief, you couldn't cast this devil out, this lunatic devil out that threw this son into fire and into the water as often as he would. For verily I say unto you, watch it here. This is uh, uh, verse uh, 20 of Matthew 17. If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed. Now in the progressive parables in Matthew 13, he goes through seven progressive parables of the kingdom of God. The first one is the sower. Second one is the tares. The third one is the mustard seed. And that mustard seed will go into a great tree and all the fowls of the air will lodge in the branches thereof. Well, we see that that mustard tree, the mustard branch goes, a mustard seed grows into a great tree. Well, it's the growth of the kingdom. But notice here, he says, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, that's this third level in the progressive parables of Jesus in the kingdom parables of Matthew 13, that you shall say unto this mountain, this mountain that you have just seen of transfiguration, at this say to this mountain of the revelation you've seen of Jesus only, and that's the reason we preach the doctrine of Christ, of Jesus only, because it was not Moses doing the judgment miracles. That's the reason they didn't see Moses after they were touched by the Lord and raised up. They save no man, saw no man, save Jesus only. Why? Well, Jesus did redemption miracles, prove that he is the Redeemer. He is the resurrection and the life. But what about Moses? Well, it wasn't Moses. You don't see Moses. 
It was Christ in Moses doing the judgment miracles, destroying the gods of Egypt. Not Moses, but the Christ in Moses, as we see in 1 Peter 1, verse 10 and 11. Now, speaking of those that have wisdom, and he states in 1 Peter 1, verse 10 and 11, that all the Old Testament prophets searched diligently into the grace that should come to us, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ that was in them. Moses, that prophet, had that Spirit of Christ in him, and through that Spirit of Christ, God Almighty, that he did those judgment miracles up on Egypt, destroying the gods of Egypt. But we don't see Moses there. Why? Because it's Christ. It was never Moses. It was Christ in Moses doing the works. The same we see with Elijah. Elijah did kingdom miracles and all that he did. There was not the Elijah, but the Christ in Elijah that did it. So we see three various uh, revelations there of Christ because Jesus spake there in the days of his flesh that he is the resurrection and the life. And he said, if I were the finger of God cast out devils, no, you, the kingdom of God's come nigh to you. He did redemption miracles, never killed anyone. All that came to him, all manner of sickness and disease, he healed them all. But then we have Moses. Moses did judgment miracles uh, in the exodus of Israel from Egypt uh, with judgment miracles there of Christ. Then we look at Elijah. Then it did kingdom miracles through the Christ that was in him. It's all Christ. This is a revelation of Christ. Christ doing uh, and in the body of Christ in the last days after the six days going into that seventh day or in the third day when the latter reign of the Holy Ghost will be upon the people of God, we will work those same miracles as the body of Christ that Jesus said, these works shall you do. What? You will do the redemption miracles that I did. You will heal the sick, cleanse the leper, raise the dead, cast out devils, open blind eyes, lose the dumb tongue, the lame walk, and the captive go free. Blessed is he, whomsoever has not offended me. And you will do these same works that I did, shall you do also. Then he states, but greater works than these shall you do. What are the greater works? Well, the greater works are those that we see in Moses. Judgment miracles of Moses upon Egypt destroying the gods of Egypt, and in Zephaniah 2, God will famish all the gods of the world, not just Egypt, but of the world, through the body of Christ, the Christ in you, the hope of glory, and the full manifestation of Jesus in the work of the ministry that you and I are called for. And that is uh, not only judgment miracles of Moses, but you will do the kingdom miracles of Elijah, which are restoration Miracles to restore all that faith that was once delivered to the saints of God will be restored again. And that is the testimony of Jesus, the spirit of prophecy, which is the faith of Jesus, Revelation 14, 12. To keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus or the faith of Jesus, one and the same. This is what's happening now that God is preparing his body for this last great day move, but you have to be able to speak and decree the word of God. You have to stand on it, be established in that faith, in that doctrine of Christ, and speak to this mountain. And he'll say, 
If you speak to this mountain, this revelation I've given you after the sixth day of Jesus, Moses, and Elijah, we're understanding that that is the body of Christ working the Christ miracles of redemption, of judgment, and of kingdom miracles that were done that Jesus said, greater than, they, greater than these shall you do, because I go to my Father. And you say, and you can speak to this mountain, having that revelation, and say, remove hence from where you are to yonder place. That's the place that God replaced and put Enoch that he should not taste of death. It's the place of Elijah that he will stay taken up. But you've got to see it. For Elisha to have a double portion, he must see Elijah go up. If you see me go up, you shall have whatsoever you ask, a double portion. If we, the body of Christ, see this great word and we can speak to this mountain, the revelation of Jesus Christ, uh, that we're in the third day or the seventh day since creation or the third day since the cross, then we can say to this mountain, remove hence uh, from there to yonder place, to this place of a being in the last day work of the ministry, and then you shall have whatsoever you say. Notice that Jesus said it again in Matthew 21 about this mountain in Matthew 21 and verse 22, when the disciples saw him curse the fig tree and how great and how fast that it withered away, then Jesus said, answered and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, if you have faith, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. But if you have faith and doubt not, standing upon this word, you shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but there's this mountain. Watch this mountain. But also you shall say unto this mountain, that, that Matthew 17 mountain, that mountain of transfiguration, this mountain, the mountain of Jesus there, that great high mountain apart uh, where he takes Peter, James, and John, the inner three, and they see Moses and Elijah with Jesus, and they see this Jesus-only doctrine if you see that, if you see that work of the ministry, if you have the understanding and this eschatological time, if you understand, as is a car, the times and seasons of God, what God's people ought to do, then you will say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, that from hence to yonder place, be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea. What's the sea? The multitude that kindreds nations and tongues, that's the world, my friend. This mountain of transfiguration will be the redemption miracles of Jesus worked through the body of Christ. The judgment miracles of Jesus worked through the body of Christ. And the kingdom miracles of Elijah and restoration being worked through the body of Christ. Yes, friend, that is you. And we will see that these will be a great move of God doing not only Jesus said the works that I do, but greater than these shall you do. We're just now scraping the tip of the iceberg. God's doing it now. He's sending his people now for this great work, the work of the ministry, that we will go forth in the demonstration and power of the Holy Ghost and will literally turn the nations to God. The kingdom, kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. There we must believe the word of God. It is a great work. Tune into the podcast. 
There's more to come. We're just scraping the tip of the iceberg. You need to contact me if God's dealing with you. The body of Christ is coming together. I'm not talking about a local church body. I'm talking about the body of Christ, the international body of Christ that fills heaven and earth as one man, Jesus the head, and you the body of Christ. Don't procrastinate. Get in contact with me and let us work together. You can contact me. My phone number is the country code plus one. 903-746-4885. Many of you are calling in Africa and India. There, we want you to leave a message. I'll get back to you. The ones in America, we need to hear from you. In Europe, we need to hear from you. All throughout the world, as God's dealing with you, don't procrastinate. Take part, become an active part in the work of the ministry through faith and coming together, the body fitly framed together and compacted into one according to the measure of each and every part. Whichever joint supplies to the edifying of itself and love, God is doing it now. Don't miss out. Don't let the new wine fail in you that we are let this oil of truth languish in us. We must not let this last day work of the ministry, this new thing that God is doing, this new thing literally fail in us. We can't let the new wine fail in us. Therefore, give me a call, Dennis Beard. I will wait for your phone call, plus one, 903-746-4885. Drop me an email, sealinggodspeople at dennisbeard.org. We're praying for each one of you that God perfect that which is lacking in all of us, that we all may be presented blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in both spirit, soul, and body. Until the next time, this is Brother Dennis Beard saying, Behold, the real Jesus.